I'm Virginia Schutte. And I'm Bethann Garriman Merkel, and this is Meteor, the honest podcast about science communication with impact. Bethann, it is so great to be back. If Woo! you've been with us, listeners, it is so great to reconnect with you. And if you're new here, we have a whole season banked that you can tap into if you feel like you want more Meteor right now. We are also thrilled to share from roll that we've received full funding to run our first cohort of SciComm STEP, Sparking Transitions for Experienced Professionals. SciComm STEP is an intensive professional development program designed to counter barriers to growth and help fill the professional development gap for experienced science communicators. Participants will build and practice a series of self-generated action plans to apply career advancement tools toward meeting their goals. This first cohort is fully funded by the National Association for Science Writers. Thank you so much. If anybody who made any decisions or supports them is listening and applications open on July 13th. More details about STEP are on our website, meteorsycom.org. That's also where you can join our email list. We will ping you and anyone on the list with a link when applications open. Back to the podcast episode you were expecting. (laughs) A reminder for our seasoned guest and an intro for our new friends. We feel like there are lots of great SciComm spaces already devoted to entry-level skill building. So we use this podcast to start advanced user conversations with you. This season, we set ourselves a theme and something of a guiding principle that we're working to live up to. Saying yes and keeping at it is how we sustain hope and work toward a better world. On the Meteor podcast, we focus on inclusive SciComm with impact for change. And we know you might not be feeling hopeful right now, but wherever you find yourself this summer and fall, We hope you'll join us in these conversations about how saying yes makes room for action, accountability, impact, and yep, even hope in the realm of SciComm. And as we say every episode, we want to open up these conversations beyond just us. We want to hear what you think. You can tell us on Twitter or through our website, both of which are linked in the show notes. All right, let's roll. (laughs) Today, we are talking about finding and picking your people. We are digging into a mashup of how we know when there's a spark, why it matters to look for people we really want to work with, and all that jazz. Basically, the heck yes of (laughs) your people. So the first question we want to tackle is, why are we even spending an entire episode on finding your people? And When I think about this question, why is it worth it to associate with great people and how much does it matter to me in my personal and professional life? Honestly, when I was making notes for this episode, I was like, can we, can we skip this part? Does everybody already know? Like, I don't think I used to have a choice really as much as I do now in terms of who I spend my work time with. But now that I'm mid-career, I don't think it's worth putting up with people that drain me or that don't have the same shared values that I have, that don't want to work on the same stuff as I do. I just, I cannot overstate how important it has been to me and how, how gosh, just how good I feel when people are nice (laughs) and when people like allow me, (gasps) allow me to, um, 
you know, just do what I need to do to get work done and to be a happy human also. So I don't, I don't really know how to answer this question. It is worth it to associate with great people because it is, and it matters to me a lot. I I don't know how to say that, except that like go mental health. (laughs) We've touched on this in a lot of different ways in the first season, especially when we were having our conversation about using something like a CV or a resume to validate yourself instead of asking for permission. I think of that as related to this question, because we are basically saying, yes, it does matter. And I do get to, I do get to set those boundaries. Like I get to say, this is, this is a project or an environment or a person that fills my cup professionally. And I'm going to, I'm going to pick that. And I, I agree with you. There have been times in my life where I needed to say yes to absolutely everything that came along, freelancing, part-time jobs, anything at the university that could possibly get me a more stable position. I still have that impulse, but I don't necessarily have those circumstances right now. And so I, I appreciate that we are talking about this because I think it's a reminder for me that I do get a choice here. So this is a really good point. It's not that we don't know that it's nice to work with nice people. It's, it's how to accurately calculate what that's worth when it comes to making professional decisions then, which I know I mentioned before, I feel like a lot of people, especially when they're talking to freelancers or people who have decisions to make about what extra projects to add to your plate, they'll recommend a decision-making triangle where you have to have two out of three things fulfilled. And the three quarters of the triangle are passion, pay, and prestige. So if something's going to give you prestige and it fulfills your passion, then it may be worth it to volunteer. So you don't have to get paid that kind of decision-making. And I, I really, really don't like the triangle because I want it to be a square. I feel like there needs to be another point, which is people. So if it doesn't pay, but I am working with great people on something I'm passionate about, those two are enough for me. Even if it's not prestige, I I can count it as service and know that I've done something good and I can move on. I can feel fulfilled by that. So for me, you're right, Bethann, it comes down to making decisions and valuing people a lot in my professional decision-making. Yeah. And I know when we were preparing for this episode, we were talking kind of tangentially about community. And I, I want to actually bring that in here on purpose because I don't think this conversation is just about individual people. We will, of course, talk about that. And you and I cooked up Meteor because we wanted to work with each other. And we thought there were things we could do in the world that would be good. But the whole gist of media of Meteor is a community conversation, mm-hmm. right? What we are trying to do here is lift all the boats a little mm-hmm. higher, you know, be the rising tide in our own small way. And I think that really resonates for me because I grew up in a community. My mom had us volunteering for community projects when I was seven or something. And it's just completely baked into how I understand the world. And 
I think we've talked about this before. I finish projects that I work on with other people. It has taken me a really long time to acknowledge that. And it has taken me even longer to treat that as a feature in how I work instead of a bug that I needed to overcome. And now I want, I go looking for projects and ideas that I can work on with people I'm excited to work on them with. And they are usually projects that are offering something to a broader community, or they are trying to change a, you know, trying to change a conversation or a process so that more people will benefit from something or experience something at least in a, in a lower friction sort of way. So I, I agree with you about individual people being a really important part of it. And, and I have found over time that generally speaking, the things that I am the most drawn to have to do with benefits for people as well. Yeah, this is a an interesting point about both of us uh, having elements of people and talking about the service aspects of our science communication work, because I think often so many administrators or unit heads or people who kind of assign tasks to other people in an organization, they will assign science communication work as if it is service. So like you're the head of the education department at some place and they'll say, oh, on the side, you can do the science communication, you can run the social media and and whatever it is. Um, But designating science communication as service strips the idea that you can do service with your science communication work. It, it does not allow for that. It, it, and I, I have never really put that together before that it, that it kind of dishonors the idea of science communication service in general by viewing the profession as like a, a free kind of gift. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think if, if I hear what you're saying right, it's not just that science communication often gets devalued and, and kind of lumped as service. It's, it's also kind of constraining what is even possible or what someone imagines is possible through SciComm or a SciComm career, because it's just kind of putting it in this sort of spare parts, spare time box in a far corner. And every now and then when we need an extra widget, we'll go fish in that box. Yes. And I think if we're talking about, you know, again, bringing it back to this idea that we need to be deliberate in our decision-making and how we value community and working with other people, how we, how we value finding people, finding our people in our career, then we cannot make great decisions and value people like potentially we should if all of our science communication work is viewed as service. Yep. So I think the other aspect of finding your people is not just the you know, philosophy of it. How do we treat this in a framework kind of way, but the you know, hard and fast logistics and planning aspect of it. Um, I think one of the things that I struggle with is the very, very beginning of building a relationship. So I feel like I have done so well thinking about setting boundaries and defining limits that sometimes I struggle then with navigating my own kind of (laughs) roadblocks and stop here signs to 
understand how a relationship is going to fit in. Uh, I'm thinking especially of a recent example where, um, you know, someone wanted to chat with me because I I thought they wanted to chat with me so that we could potentially work together or develop something together into the future. Um, And then I, wow, when we started talking, I had very, very much misunderstood their intentions because it turned into a multi-hour advice call, which I'm not necessarily against, but I did not prepare for that. And I did not block my day for that, honestly. And so, you know, having the shift on the call, I, I started getting antsy in the background in my own brain, like, oh, this isn't what I planned. Did I, you know, set aside the time for blah, blah, blah. And, and so I think I struggle with, you know, I just think, okay, I want to meet you. You seem like a great person. And then I don't have any other defined, like, let me set up the logistics here so that I'm prepared to bring my best self and develop this relationship well. Yeah. I think what you're pointing to is interesting because I, I remember you telling me that when you were transitioning out of academic science, that you did a lot of informational interview type networking. And I wonder if there's just a little sort of residue of that habit that's cropping up every now and then, because the way you said that is what, the way you said that is what got my attention you seem like a cool person. I want to meet you right with a very open-ended sort of thing. And that feels like the informational interview mode. The idea isn't in those kinds of dynamics. It's not even really a first date professionally, if you will. Right. And so maybe, maybe that's part of what we're talking about here with building relationships at the beginning. And I find I don't feel that I'm having quite as hard of a time building professional relationships right now. I'm, I more feel like I want to be working with all the people that I want to jam out with. And I don't know if we (laughs) all have time for all of that these days, but this resonates a lot for me in my personal life. I've moved, I've moved a few times for my husband's career and my own career over the last decade and a half or so. And and recently I've been running into articles that make me be like, oh, maybe I'm old. But then, <laughs> but then I guess here we are talking about being mid-career. So maybe I just need to lean into that. And this is all a wandering way of saying articles that are talking about how it's hard to maintain friendships for Ooh. long periods of time as you get older and kind of shift out of the environment where you knew someone before. And oh. also if you move that it is harder later in your life to build new friendships that feel as rich and as deep as the ones that we might've had, say in college, where we had this deeply shared environment and kind of a similar set of angst to deal with. And, and what you're describing to me sounds like that to me, it's, it's more like every now and then I bump into someone on the internet and I'm like, Oh, I really want to be your like your work friend. I want to be a person that I know knows, like, I want to, I don't know, like, I guess what I'm saying is like, to me, there's like a difference between when I really want to build a relationship with someone and, and just kind of like having a conversation to meet someone. To me, there's an emotional difference there. And, and there's also a professional kind of potential that feels different. 
So listeners, I have to tell you, I am bent to the side, clutching my stomach (laughs) with this description of maintaining long-term friendships, because you're right. My husband and I talk about this all the time in our personal life about how we are not the same people we were X number of months ago, X number of years ago. And there are people that we have had wonderful friendships with, and now it is no longer time to be their best friend because we are all different people. And it just makes me so nervous to think about like, I'm having trouble, just not, not having trouble. I, I would benefit from deliberately planning the beginning of some relationships already. And the idea that I'm going to have to like, keep doing that (laughs) over and over as we both change is like, no, no, thank you. (laughs) I completely, I completely (laughs) agree. I've been thinking about this really hard for a few years with my sister and a couple of people who are becoming closer friends who started out as work friends where I live now. And it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I want some of the, the intense drop in anytime kind of community vibe that I have had at periods of my life. And I don't feel like I have that right now. And I do think I am looking for some of that from professional relationships now. Like I like maybe, maybe the people I know physically on the ground where I live don't meet the need. And some of the people that I know virtually or professionally, like they're not going to drop by with soup necessarily, but you know, even, even the stuff that you and I work on and some of the people that we've worked, we've reached out to and said, Hey, do you want to fund our, our program so that we can share it with more people? Like some of those relationships, I think have the potential to meet some of the emotional and intellectual needs that I'm recognizing I might be used to just from my social life. That's really interesting because I feel like so much of the conversation about virtual work or returning to the office for like my more corporate friends has been, you know, businesses are not a family and people do not want them to be is the consensus right now. But what we're saying is, well, it, but wouldn't it be nice if it just happened that you did want them to be, and then they were, (laughs) but that, I think that can only be achieved then once you, again, you know, this is a very, I would not have been having this conversation five, 10 years ago, because I feel like now that I'm at this point in my career, I have the power to shape things much more than I used to. This is actually putting a lot of things in context for me, because I feel like I notice often that when I make lists of science communicators that I want to get in touch with for a project or a panel or should be considered for some something that I'm working on, I often reach beyond what the people I'm working with have drawn as their boundaries for, you know, inside the circle of science communicators. I find myself going outside the circle a lot. I think it's because when I think about the people that will be my people for a long time, I'm less interested in a particular topic expertise, and I'm more interested in the kind of approaches to work that people have. So do they share my life values? And then are they open to bringing a really creative approach to their work? Yes, I agree with you. One, it is it is interesting to think about this question of, did I just say that I want 
to be besties with the people I work with. <laughs> and like, is, is that even healthy? <laughs> I think what you just said gets me where I was trying to go with that, which is it's more about the way that people think and the way that they engage with things. Yes. That's, that's what I'm looking for. And I, I don't have that kind of a social network right now on the ground here. And so I think I have been turning to professional relationships for, okay, let's put it this way. I'm not going to try to invent the next Twitter or the next Slack, but I'm really interested in being around people who are really agile and who have habits of mind where they are much more likely to say, Hey, what about this? And oh yeah, and then that. And and what if we try this thing over here? And and not necessarily are we going to do everything on any of these things. <laughs> but but just the idea that we that we that I can be in in a virtual room or a physical room or walking down the street with people who are excited to say yes to ideas. Ooh, I think that's, oh, that's such a good way to put it because I think you got where I'm headed now (laughs) when you were talking about people being flexible. I think it's not even about like wanting to be around people who are flexible as much as it is wanting to be around people who are ready to pounce on opportunities and you, but also create them from nothing. So not just, I see an opportunity here and I'm flexible enough to get it, but like, Hey, I see a change that I want to make happen. So I'm going to create the process that will produce that. Yeah. I think what we're talking about somehow dovetails with why I've walked away from being a scientist, like a capital S with a degree trained scientist so many times in my life, but not necessarily recognized that. Um, I, I once wrote a proposal to be part of a book collection about women who left science or got pushed out of science. And I think I'd counted up at that point. I'd like somehow made a decision away from science at least five times. But I've also been coming back to science through my whole career. And I think what is compelling to me about science in academia is the people who say yes, who are pushing boundaries and imagine things that are outside the traditions and the habits and the structures of the academy. And I'm going to stretch a little bit here and say, I think this is because a lot of my deep disciplinary training is outside of science where we are literally making things up as the point of the discipline, art, (laughs) creative writing, fine art, photography. And then even when I moved into education and program development, I didn't have the training to do that stuff. I had the training to imagine that things were possible and find a way to do them. Okay. So, so far we've been talking about the philosophy of working with great people, the logistics of it, And then to me, if I had to sum it up, who are my people that I want to be with? It's people who let others force the limits. They're always going to say, you know, within self-care boundaries, like always going to say, 
yeah, like at least, let's at least talk about that. Let's see if we can make it work and then have someone else say, oh, there's not resources or there's not <laughs> technology or the world doesn't work that way or something. And I think, you know, if we're going to bring this full circle, we started out by talking about how we enjoy working with other people like that. But I think working with other people like that makes me better because then I get pushed to think beyond the limits that I may have subconsciously set on myself. And I get pushed to dream bigger and kind of work wilder in a way. So I, I love to work with my people, but my people also make me better. Yeah. I I think my tangible analog to this is you were saying somebody else tells you there isn't the resources or the world doesn't work that way. And for you, that's a much better environment to work in than setting those limits yourself. I've always been a work within the system to change the system kind of person. And, and maybe this goes back to my mom having us do those community volunteer projects forever ago. I've seen that change is possible from within the system. I want to like, I want to make, burn it down and make it all (laughs) change. But I do think that a lot of that can be done within the system. And so you tell me the world doesn't work that way. I will find you a process. I will facilitate developing a procedure. (laughs) We will, we will articulate a policy that makes the world work that way. And, and I know a lot of people who go running when strategic planning type stuff comes up. But I have been part of organizations where we literally did change the way the world worked in our corner because we changed the way that we worked. And yeah, I I like building things and I like dreaming and and all of that. And I also have this this really mundane side of things (laughs) I think if we have a man, if we have a department handbook, the world can work better and differently. So I, I, I totally hear you on the like people who, who like give you all the permission. And then I do think that part of giving ourselves permission is giving ourselves real roadmaps, stuff that we can use that actually makes things work differently. So I'm going to attempt to sum up this episode We talked about why we like finding our people. We talked about a little bit how we navigate finding and then working with our people, what type of people we're even talking about. And then we came back to the beginning and said, oh yeah, also it makes us better, (laughs) which is why we like working with our people. (laughs) Absolutely. So over to you listeners, what's your spark? How do you know when you've bumped into a person or an idea that you really want to work with? You've been listening to Meteor, the honest podcast about science communication with impact. To join this conversation, tell us about your spark. You can do that on Twitter or you can submit a note on our website, meteorsycom.org. Talk soon.